0: You know, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 where it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Today's passage takes that verse to heart. Abraham meets three strangers and entertains them only to find out that they were angels of the Lord. So it's unlikely that Abraham off the bat knew that they were angels but nevertheless he showed them kindness by being hospitable But actually, he even goes beyond the traditional expectations for hospitality according to the customs of back then. He super eagerly hurries to meet them. Then he hurries into the tent to tell Sarah, his wife, to quickly bake some bread. And then he hurries over to the herd to select the best calf. Then he tells his servants to prepare it, which they hurry to do. Like Abraham was super eager to please these guests who have come unannounced to his home. And I think in this day and age, whenever people show up to our homes, the only hurrying that we do is to hurry over to the door to lock it or hurry over to the switch to turn it off so that they think that no one's home, so that they'll go away. But it's different. Abraham eagerly goes out of his way to serve them, but not only that, he shows them great respect. Abraham, he bows really low to the ground when he meets them. Now, as someone who understands a thing or two about bowing. Lower the bow means the more respect you're giving them. But not only that, he gives them the best that he has. In fact, he gives them the preference to their comfort over his own. And finally, Abraham, the father of a multitude who is a wealthy guy, and he's got a household filled with servants, it's Abraham who stands waiting like a servant while his guests eat like kings. This is what he's doing. He's serving. Now, let me say a little something about hospitality. I like what John Piper calls it. He calls it strategic hospitality. Strategic hospitality, what does that mean? Well, in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, it says, contribute to the needs of the saints, practice hospitality. Sometimes we pride ourselves in being, able to, in being hospitable, and what I mean by that is we're good at making like a mean casserole, Right? Or we'll always have some cookies or fudge to pass around should someone stop by. Or maybe we're really good at making people feel comfortable and so we purposely have a spare room should anyone come by and need a crash. Or we always have like maybe some steaks in the freezer so we can feed them something good, something substantial. But hospitality is more than just a hot cup of chocolate and a warm meal because biblical hospitality always has a motive. Can everyone say motive? There should be an intentionality behind the good works of your heart and the good works of your hands. And what should that motive be? The motive should be, how can I, through my hospitality, through my generosity, show this person how much God loves them? You get that? How can my hospitality encourage them to pursue Christ and, and, and remind them that Christ is pursuing them? What is the need of the saints? It is a constant reminder that Christ is more than enough, that he is all we need. Hospitality always has a purpose behind, beyond great comfort. It's purposeful. It's spiritual. It's to draw the person, the guest, closer to their Savior. That's what hospitality is. If they eat a good meal, you share a good couple laughs, and they head out, what will they remember? They'll remember your kindness. They'll remember your mad cooking skills. They'll bring it back to their love. Now, to shower them with goodness isn't bad, but I think it's important to always bring it back to the gospel somehow. And it's quite easy to do that if you're actually living it, if you're constantly living the gospel. That's why hospitality is not something you can turn on and turn off, just like gospel living can't be turned on or off, but it's constant because the love of Christ in you should be constant too. Can I hear your name into that? Right? So, yes, always have some coffee and tea ready. In fact, Grace and I, we always have tea in our cupboards and we have Costco lasagnas in our freezer, which is more for when Grace is away and she doesn't really trust me to cook for these guests. Which, by the way, I want to personally thank Jennifer for that amazing discovery wherever she's at. Yeah, there she is. But yeah, so my encouragement is this feed people. Be kind to guests, share good times, have a lot of laughter, but the kindness of our words, the fullness of these meals, the good times of the evening, and the laughter we share can only be experienced by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God. Therefore, when we share in those times, we must think of God's grace. And when we think of God's grace, we remove the man-centeredness of me and the man-centeredness of you and the man-centeredness of our guests, and we bring it back to what's truly important, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it will always be about Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, growing up, even before my parents entered into ministry, they would constantly have guests over. And it was the same with my wife, with Grace and her family, too. They were in ministry for a longer time. But for me, personally, whenever I was sitting around the dinner table, every word that was being spoken between my parents and these guests would always be about Jesus, always be about Jesus. And let me tell you how immature in faith I was at that time. I hated those dinners. I hated the conversations because it was annoying. I was always thinking, talk about something else, for goodness sakes. Talk about the food. Talk about the weather. Talk about how, you know, their son got to TJ and Harvard and rub it in my face. I don't care. Do something else. Talk about something else. But you guys have been talking about God nonstop. I mean, seriously, how much longer can you guys go? I was getting actually annoyed. Is this all you guys can talk about? And so finally, after one of those super long Jesus dinner meetings, like I call it, I asked my parents, hey, why do you guys always keep talking about the church? Why do you guys keep always talking about God? Why do you guys always keep talking about the Bible? My parents said, what else is there to talk about? What else else is there to talk about? So looking back, I now realize how the guests who would come through our doors, they would enter physically and spiritually hungry, but by God's grace and with the right motive from his saints, they would leave physically and spiritually full. That's what biblical hospitality does. You leave, you enter, physically and spiritually hungry, but when you leave, you leave physically and spiritually full. Do you guys get that? That's the essence of true gospel-centered hospitality. It's when you leave spiritually full. Everyone say spiritually full. But interestingly, this story is not even about Abraham's hospitality. That's not what the main point is. It's actually about the coming of the Lord, and so that's my first point. God has come near to you. God has come near to you. Okay, so there's really no question that one of the three strangers was the Lord himself and the other two were angels. Verse 1 says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Then in verse 3, Abraham calls out, my Lord, or Adonai, which means my Lord, right? And it can only refer to God. In verse 9, 10, 13, it simply affirms again that God was one of them. So get this, God visited Abraham. God came to visit Abraham, and I think that's pretty amazing. They have this really unique, special relationship. In fact, three times in the entire Bible, Abraham was called a friend of God. A friend of God. Now, God visiting Abraham wasn't because he just wanted a meal with Abraham. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people repeatedly ate meals as part of their covenant relationship with the living God. You know, when the covenant at Mount Sinai was established, the people, they ate and they drank in uh, in the presence of God, in peace before God. In the Levitical Code, there was something called the peace offering, which meant it was a holy meal and it was eaten before the Lord. And of course, many of you guys have heard of the Passover feast, right? The Passover feast is an annual reminder of how God has come near to us to deliver us from bondage or deliver them from bondage. You know, a common icebreaker that we ask sometimes is this. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, past or present who would it be and why so people would say i'd want to eat with my my late grandfather i really miss him a lot i just want to see i just want to talk and reminisce and 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 just love on him and re, and receive love from him too some people would say i'd want to eat with a famous celebrity because i think it'd just be really cool and fascinating to, uh, to be able to experience something like that with them. Some people will say, I want to eat with some amazing genius or a philosopher. I want to just pick at their brains and, and just hear what they have to say. And we ask that question because to have dinner with someone or a meal with someone really evokes a sense of intimacy, doesn't it? To have a meal with someone. And so these meals that the people of the Old Testament had was really powerfully intimate in that they were able to get a taste of the glory of God in all his splendor. It was powerful, but it was a taste of his splendor. You know, a few months ago, I was able to go visit my best friend, Matt, Matt Chandler. He doesn't like it when I call him that. But um, I went down to Texas, and I've never met him before. But I sat down, and I got to say, when you sit down next to someone that you admire, someone that you have learned a lot from, it really does something weird in you. Okay? I was wide-eyed. I really want to make sure I didn't say anything stupid. I mean, every, literally every word that came across my mind, I checked and rechecked and checked and rechecked, making sure that it was okay. Like, so he would say, he sat down next to me, he goes, hi, um, you tracking with me? I'm, um, I'm, I'm Matt. And I said, um, wow. I actually said, wow. I said, wow, um, my name is David. And then I thought, What? Was that even theologically correct? Like, <laughs> why did I say that? And then I'm thinking, wait, no, that's my name. You're supposed to say that. And I, I just, I was constantly saying, you know, blurting out things. And he, and he was talking to me, super nice guy and everything. But just being able to talk with him and be near someone like him, it was really awesome. It was really interesting. I know I'm putting Matt on a pedestal, but then it makes me wonder, how much more do you want to be near God? How much more do you want to be near God, the one who truly makes a difference in our lives? You know, the Israelites, they had their meals that really just sealed the covenant between them and God. They were able to experience a new depth of intimacy with him in a way. And Abraham was crazy blessed to be in the presence of the Lord. But here's what I'm trying to get at. The people of the Old Testament only had a sample. Get this. The people of the Old Testament only had a sample of the way God would come near to us today. Just a sample. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. You see, God has come to you. Do you know that? God has come to you. Philippians chapter 2 says, Jesus, being the very nature of God, made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of His servant, being made in human likeness. God has come to you. The fact that the Lord appeared before Abraham and fellowshiped with him is really a foreshadowing of the incarnation of Jesus. Let me tell you something. And each and every heart, right here in this room, is a heart that is aching for something. You know that? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're aching. Like, you might, you might say that you're doing fine, that you're doing well, you're satisfied with your job, you're satisfied with your income, your salary, with your friendships and your relationships, but deep down in every soul, there's an itch. There's an itch, a longing for something. So what we tend to do is we, we attempt to satisfy with people... We attempt to satisfy with things, with distractions. But I'm here to tell you all something today, whether you are a believer or not. But that hunger that you have right now is a hunger for fellowship with the living God. It is a hunger for fellowship with the living God. I can't count how many times I would meet with someone who was going through a dark time in their lives. And I would ask them after, are you immersing yourself in God through prayer and through his word and through the fellowship of the church community? And they would say, well, Not really. You see, fellowshipping with God, it is crucial to your spiritual health and well-being. You can't grow sp- physically healthy and strong if you don't sleep and if you don't eat. Why do we think we can grow spiritually well with God if we don't spend time with Him? You need God. You can try to brush it off and say, no, 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 like this, this feeling I have, is because, you know, w- once I finish my degree, I'll be a lot at, at a more complacent place in my life. I'll be a lot more settled. Once I get married, once I have kids, maybe once I start traveling around the world and experiencing different cultures and different peoples and all that stuff, once I get a career, then I won't feel so restless, I won't feel so empty, I won't feel so hungry, but those things will not fill you, because they were never meant to fill you. All our lives, we've been trying to force a square peg into our hearts, and it's not going to fit. It's just not going to fit. That's why God has not only given you a taste, but has fully come to our world to walk in our shoes so that he could bring us back to himself. But his coming here, it wasn't to confuse us. It wasn't to enslave you. It wasn't to restrict us. On the contrary, he came, in our, he came into this world and into our lives to set us free and to make us friends of God like Abraham. Can you all say friend of God? If you want fellowship with Christ, then you can only have fellowship with Christ, which means this. We need to abandon whatever you're filling your life with because Jesus has come to fill your life with himself and only himself. He will not share you, share you with anything or anyone else. It's time to surrender and abandon your sins, the sins that we have grown to love, and abandon any hope that you might have in yourself. Jesus has come so that you can, so that you can have him completely but that's not all. My second point is this, is that we can't doubt God's promises. Okay, so there's all different kinds of laughters. We know, right? All different kinds of laughters. Uh, I really love the laughter of my kids. I think, we, I think a lot of people like the laughter of kids. It's, um, when it's during daylight, it's really charming. When it's at night, it's really creepy, but <clears throat> like, I love, I love the laughter of my kids. I, I love playing Peekaboo junior and he laughs. It's really cute, and and with Ada, you know, I joke around being silly with her, and she's, she's, her laughter is funny. It's innocent. It's, very, it's lighthearted, and it's actually sometimes even therapeutic. It makes you feel good, too. In fact, the other day, my daughter, she said her very first joke. Her very first joke, and it was hilarious. Grace and I were sitting in bed, and we were thinking about what we should eat. And so Ada runs into our room and says, and then so we said, what do you want to eat? And she goes, she goes, I'm hungry. I'm like, okay, yeah, so what do you want to eat? And she says, I want to eat broccoli. And we're like, broccoli? Because we look at each other and we say, we know that our daughter does not like broccoli. And so we look at each other and we look back at Ada and she starts giggling and goes, oh, I'm just kidding, runs off. <laughs> like it was cute, it was hilarious at the same time. Uh, granted, her first joke was really a lie, but whatever. <clears throat> So there's that childlike laughter is really key, but there's also the uncontrollable laughter that's oftentimes contagious. You know what I'm talking about? I feel like Youngju may have that laugh. It's just when she just laughs, it's, just, it's contagion, so it's hard for you not to laugh too. But some people have that joy-filled laughter. It's just really hearty. It's a wonderful, vibrant type of laughter as well. The one that we heard in the previous chapter where Abraham laughed when he heard and he believed in God's promise of a son. But there's also a different kind of laughter. There's a, a mocking, a sarcastic, even maybe even scornful laughter, a laughter that delights in evil. Now, how did Sarah laugh? Did she laugh like a child? Did she laugh like Abraham, joy-filled? Did she laugh like a villain? No, I don't know. But her laughter was one of unbelief because she doubted God's promise. Now, I believe Sarah believed in God. I, I think she would gladly and confidently say, you know what, God is the creator. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is, God is sovereign. He is holy. He is good and great and so on and so forth. But when it came down to little old Sarah, when it, when it involved her personally, it became a different kind of promise, didn't it? Here's what happened, verses 9 and 12. They said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and your, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind her. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out, my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? So get this. God could do the, the unbelievable thing for Sarah wasn't that God could do the impossible, but it was that he would do the impossible in her. Does that make sense? Will I now have pleasure? My husband is old. My body is dead. In other words, I'm past menopause. I'm too old. This can't be possible. It just can't happen. And so Sarah, she laughed. Now, God, he didn't like that attitude all too much. So he rebuked her. And said, the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, (laughs) I did not laugh. And he said, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) Like, don't lie to God. I didn't say, really? I'll show you the recording. Sarah doubted God. Now, perhaps there's something in your life today where you're also doubting the power of God. Sure, God can do this. He can split the Red Sea. He can rain manna down from the heavens. Sure, Jesus can walk on water. But no, he can't heal me from this brokenness from this anger and this bitterness of my life. Yes, I believe Jesus can change water into wine, but I don't think he can change my broken marriage into a restored one. Yes, I believe that he died for the forgiveness of my sins, but I don't think I can ever overcome the sin of addiction in my life. Yes, I believe that God, he takes people who are nothing and have nothing, and he fills them with the Holy Spirit, and they do amazing work sharing the good news and making an impact in people's lives, but I really doubt God is calling me. After all, who am I? I have no talent. I have no discernible skills. I'm biblically illiterate. I'm not even that smart, and I can't speak in front of people. You see, we're so good at outwardly believing while we're inwardly laughing. Aren't we? Just like Sarah? We're so good at saying, yes, God, you can. But when God's like, hey, I want to do something in you, we say, no, you can't. Not in me. It's like we think God's promises are only reserved for those who are holy and who are smart and who've got it figured out and 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 who don't have broken lives. Well, I got news for you today, people. His promises are for the weak. His promises are for the poor. His promises are for the filthy, the diseased, the hated, the marginalized, the uneducated, the ill-equipped, and the ill-deserving people. His promises are for people like you and I who have failed time and time again because it is His promises promise to us, not our promise to him. It's his promise to us. He's saying, I am going to do this in you. He's not saying, what are you going to get, what are you going to do for me? There's nothing we can do for him. How many times have you broken your promise to the Lord? How many times, January 1st, did you say, God, I'm going to read the Bible? How many many guys are still reading the Bible right now? I'm going to pray every single day. How many times, how many guys are still praying every single day? You see, our promises to God are just so temporary. But God, he's bigger than our weak faith. Sarah laughed in unbelief, but God rebuked her and said, I am coming back next year, and when I do, you will have a son. You see, God, get this, is even able to give us faith to trust him. Faith is not something you just conjure up within yourself. He gives you the faith to trust him, and so therefore, if you are lacking in faith, then ask him for faith. Ask him for more. Give me faith, God. I don't want to doubt you anymore. I don't want to just outwardly believe but inwardly laugh. I don't want to laugh at you anymore. Because that's what Sarah apparently did. She said, give me faith in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was just past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Look, I don't know where you stand in faith today. Maybe your faith is really swaying left and right because you're getting hit pretty hard right now in life. Maybe the burdens of life of your life is getting out of control and it's getting a little bit too heavy to bear. Maybe your back is starting to give into the weight of your guilt, of your past shame, and you're trying to trust. You're trying to believe and yeah, I get it. Sometimes God's promises all seem beyond our comprehension, but God has called you not to understand what's going on, but to trust in him. Understanding tends to happen in hindsight. But we walk with God because we trust in God. Not just in what he promises to do, but who he promises to be. We are called to be people of faith, and people of faith, they believe in what God says and who he says he is. There will be many moments in your life where God will lead to something that will lead you into something that seems impossible. There will also be many moments where God will lead us into something that may make us seem even foolish. There will also be many moments where we just won't get and understand what in the world is happening, but that's when we need to cling on to the cross all the more. Because to the world, the cross in their eyes meant death, but to us it meant life. To the world, the message of the cross was foolishness, but to us the message of the cross was the saving power of God. Knowing that God has come to us through the person of Jesus Christ we no longer need to sample him. Through faith, we can have all of him. There is a hunger in your soul right now, brothers and sisters and friends. But that gets satisfied through the saving grace of Jesus Christ who brings us into the most amazing fellowship you'll ever have because at our table, Christ will sit with us. On our path, Christ will walk with us. And in our lives, Christ will fill us with his word and his Holy Spirit because through Christ and only through Christ can we become friends of God. Do you want that? It's here. And it doesn't have to be a sample. It doesn't have to be a taste. You can have them all. Amen? Let's pray. If you could take a moment as we reflect on what you've heard today. What is God saying to you today? How is God tugging at your heart? What is he saying? What is he saying? Listen. Listen to him right now. He's speaking. How does he want you to come back to him? And what are the things that he wants you to surrender? Are you outwardly believing but inwardly laughing too, like Sarah? Are you thinking, God, you can do that, but you can't do that in my life? Do you know that you're meant to be a testimony? A testimony that will give glory to God as you share your story with others and see, and allow them to see how God's been working in you? You see, God is trying to do something in you. question is, are you surrendering yourself to be able to be worked in and through? You see, it's, the Christian life is all about constant surrender. It's just constant relinquishing of your rights, of the rights that you think you have, or the rights you think you're owed. having a hard time believing. If that's the case, ask God for faith. Because faith is something that's given to us by Him. So take a few moments just to pray and consider. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you.